This is Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, my guest this week, David Lloyd, is the creator behind V for Vendetta, co-creator of V for Vendetta, sole creator in Kickback, territoriated with, not, is it Jamie Delano or Jamie Delano? I don't know. I, I don't think he minds that. <laughs> I, it's always been Jamie Delano for me. Okay. That's, that's what I thought growing up. So, with Jamie Delano, as well as Night Raven with Jamie Delano. Yeah. Uh, the Horrorist with Jamie Delano. And a couple of uh, more specials, J, J for Jenny and the Nightingale, with Garth Ennis. Anything yeah. I'm forgetting? Oh, uh, there's lots of things. Well, <laughs> uh, I did a, um, I did one of the global freq- frequency things oh, with uh, right. Warren Ice, and um, also an issue of A1. You did uh, the, uh, I guess it's an adaptation of a story. Oh yeah, I've done I've proxy. done lots of little li- little things. That's uh, so yeah, adaptation of a horror story by uh, Ramsey Campbell called uh, The Proxy and uh, and I've written a couple of uh, short stories myself uh, Gangland and um, Weird War Tales and I just I just done lots of lots of uh, lots of short stories here and there and uh, and a Hellblazer with uh, Garth as well and a Hellblazer with uh, Grant Morrison and, oh that's right the uh Earlier issues about the yeah, uh, yeah. So I've I've done uh, a lot of things. I was mainly 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 short things because uh, I have a very low boredom threshold, so uh, <laughs> I can't uh, I can't I can't work on anything for too long. I mean, unless I I don't know how. Frankly, I don't know how people spend um, sort of like fifteen years doing Spider Man, and and I, you know I really have you know I respect anybody that does because. You know, some people look at it as sort of like a job, and it's a way to pay the bills, and um, and they enjoy it as well. But for me, I need something uh, from my work. I need I need more, you know. So I couldn't um, I couldn't spend a lot of time doing one thing. Um, I, I I need uh, I need sort of feeding from from uh, the work I do. So. I can't spend a lot of time on stuff, so I, I like to choose um, things, you know, that interest me, and also things that mean something. I mean, that's, I think that's important too, too, to me. I mean, you know, stories that mean something, you know, uh, um, that say something about people or some some topic or subject. And uh, I mean, that's why Jamie. I mean, ja- I've worked with Jamie quite a lot uh, because Jamie's Jamie very is very. Um, Interested in saying things about about things, you know, politically too. Is, and unfortunately, it's not. I don't think it's uh, it's done a lot of favors because a lot of the work he's done has not been appreciated as much as it could have been because it's very, it's very, it's all it's all about um, social structure and what could happen, and uh, well, and it's not easy. I really enjoyed um, his Animal Man run where he just went right off. Yeah, I mean that's it. That's that, but that's. That's a very committed uh, attitude, which is something I respect, and uh, and uh, um, I, th- I, you know, that's that's admirable um, in in the business, which you know, let's face it, is mainly concerned with sort of like um, very simple kind of, uh, of of conflicts between you know the legion of superheroes and some other crew. Costumes. You've avoided doing costumes pretty well I think yeah it it doesn't uh, I have you know I have absolutely no um, interest in 
in that stuff at all. I mean, I did. Uh, I don't. I don't get any kick out of it. I mean, I did when I was when I was sort of growing up. I mean, I was. A, nobody could have been more enthusiastic about um, Spider-Man and Fantastic Four than me. I mean, and you know, and I'm a veteran. You know, I'm. I saw it when it first happened. You know, and uh, that stuff was brilliant, and um, and I loved it. Um, you know, I had I I read some Superman before then, not much, and some Batman, who obviously is not really superhero, but uh, <laughs> but but effectively. Yeah. Um, uh, but as I say, I I, I loved Spider Man and Fantastic Four at that time, and I and I, I I think you know superheroes are, are fantastic, and they have a place in the medium. But I think what I what I kind of resent about about the whole superhero genre is it's taken over the whole business it's, and, and for me it's I think it's distorted people's perceptions of the medium and I think that's a shame because uh, I mean in an ideal world we should we should you know the business should be um, should be producing a lot more varied work on a mass market basis like it used to do in the 50s for instance. Mm-hmm. and the, the, the really interesting thing now is there is a really varied the most diverse selection of comics I've seen available right now um, compared with the past. It's just so much different work, but now we're dealing with like a tenth of the uh, market share, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, that, but but still, the, the, the main the main output of the of the main suppliers is still mm-hmm. the same oh. stuff. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, there is a varied output, but it's, it's the Indies and the the smaller companies and and yeah, there's there's good. I think there's good things happening in the in the business now, and and obviously the great also the great thing that's actually stimulated things quite a lot now. I think is the fact that uh, because so many so many comics uh, can be made into movies, uh, there's a lot of kind of venture capitalists who sort yeah. of like set up comic companies in order to try and find uh, something some some somebody with a great comic idea that they can turn into the next Men in Black or whatever it is. I mean, let's face it. There's lots of there's lots of, uh, of movies being made from comics now, and I and I think that's that that's good. But uh, um, it, it, the the main output is still these. It's, you know, it's still the one type of thing. Um, but you know, so that that's basically why I've never been. Really interested in it, um, in doing it. I, but I, I need, I didn't, I don't personally get a get a kick out of out of it. Um, uh, not really. Um, just to let people know, uh, one of the reasons uh, having David on the show today is that you're going to be in, I guess, the West Coast for whirlwind tour, so to say. Hopefully, as long as the uh, volcano allows you to leave the UK. Um, you're going to be in Calgary on Tuesday the 25th at Red Skull Comics uh, doing a talk you're mentioning at the University of Victoria, uh, which sounds really fascinating, and signing at Good Old Legends Comics, Friends of the Ink Studs. I have lots of love for Fareth and what he does. And Sunday at Vancouver's old Heritage Hall Comic Convention put together by Mr. Leonard Wong, uh, a Vancouver institution. I might say. One thing I've noticed 
I mean, you're talking uh, just a second there about um, not doing superhero stuff. I feel like you're very, very specific in the work you choose to do. Um, I mean, you have a handful of work here and there, and then you've got, the, the, I guess, the opus with V. But looking at a story like, say, the Hellblazer one you did with Grant Morrison kind of seems to share ideas with some of the stuff in V, as well as some even the war stories you did with Garth Ennis. Mm. Is that... Am I getting something there? Well, I, I think that's po- possibly... Um, with Garth, I think... Uh, when I did that stuff at the time, um, the, the the politically and socially, I think Garth, um, sorry, Grant was of the same uh, thought process or the same the same uh, um, wavelength mm-hmm. as many of the creators in Britain at the time. Um, Garth, I think Garth is, is still very socially and politically aware. Um, and has a strong viewpoint. Um, um, so I think that's what links them. Although Garth is much younger than than, than, than Grant mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 Alan and myself, um, I think you need the, the thing that links links them all is an awareness um, of of things happening in society and. You know things that, that that are wrong and things that that should be and things that shouldn't be, and um, uh, and I think I mean I think I mean there was a period it seems to me in in you know when in the eighties and uh, early nineties when uh, when the, the people doing comic stuff they were the only people in entertainment who were actually who were actually talking about politics mm-hmm. or you know the, the social structure and and stuff like that um, but that's very common in comics I mean they, you know this is it's a subcultural medium mostly um, when you when you go outside the mainstream of things like uh, the Marvel and DC stuff um, you know mainly it's a, it's subcultural and uh, and there is there is a lot of popularity amongst the, in, in the subcultural uh, areas for comics and there's this big crossover too between uh, comics and uh, and music. Um, there's a you know it, it it it's a kind of it feeds each other. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It's and and it's it's it, especially in the small press. I mean, a lot of the small press. It's like a, it's a, it's a place where you can express your ideas very cheaply and very simply. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think uh, online comics too do that to a degree, but not. You know, it's just another way of expressing yourself. But um, um, you know, I think the small press is uh, is full of these uh, bright ideas. And this, this of course, this goes right back to the days of the underground comics. That, um, you know, this that this is where that comes from. But traditionally, comics have been uh, have been uh, you know the place uh, for subculture. So any ideas that are subcultural, the feed their way through comics. But I must say that uh, um, when myself and Alan and uh, a couple of other people, not many, I have to say, 
um, we actually had the idea. We were subvert. We were subversive, and you know, we we wanted to put into the things that you didn't normally get in comics. And in fact, when we started uh, in the in in, uh, in, in 1980, uh, that's when we created it. It, it, it first appeared in 1981. There were there was nothing happening. There were no ideas in comics uh, that I could that anywhere that, that any of us could see. And then we were fired with the uh, with the passion to inject freshness and a kind of uh, a, we had a revolutionary zeal, mm-hmm. which uh, which is one of the the keys uh, to why I think he was was so successful. We wanted to use a standard. Um, a standard uh, concept that was familiar in 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 the genre, uh, and and just 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 make it um, do what we wanted it to do. Uh, we were we were like we were like the we were like the in the business. Really, I think you, you could say that. Just ready to blow things up. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it's true. It's uh, it, yes, we were, and uh, we certainly wanted to, to to change to change things, and uh, and and I think that that we we managed to do that um, in in a small way. Um, well, for myself, um, you know, early days of getting into comics, Vive was definitely one of the more important works. Um, that really stuck out to me going, okay, this is something else. Like, I think I read that, and, like, Mouse, and a Velvet Glove cast an Iron all around the same time, and it was, like, a whole different way of looking at things. Mm. I appreciated the, uh, the aspect. Also, it was very... The, whole, the conservative politics was something we were very aware of here in Canada with Mulroney and the tight uh, relationship with Thatcherism and kind of saw the I don't even know how to properly verbalize the the life in England. It didn't look pleasant. No, no, uh, and uh, and the the thing was that I mean a lot of people think that um that uh that V was a kind of satire on Thatcherism, which is not actually true because I mean a lot of people think that because they've read the foreword that uh, that Alan uh, wrote to the collection mm-hmm. in which he's talking about uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher. Well, when when we began um, when we began the uh, Margaret Thatcher had only come had only just come to power, uh, which is in 1979, and we, she hadn't really exhibited any of those those kind of um, ruthless pseudo fascistic <laughs> attitudes that she that she um, that she exhibited later. So it it wasn't. Uh, but but what was happening then, and this is always uh, something that's bubbling under the surface in England, is the BNP, the British Nationalist Party, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a, a, a kind of neo-Nazi, as neo-Nazi other times, to it, and um, and that that was gaining um, support um, at the time. So you know the threats of of, of this sort of uh, of this of fascism. Uh, was on the horizon, and uh, and it's just something that, that 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 we felt, you know, 
we should say something about. And it was, um, is that, but we weren't alone. I mean, I think the, all the creators uh, at the time in England were very politically aware. Well, I think, like, artistically, there was also, like, one of my other interests is old industrial music and kind of seeing what was coming out of that time, too, mm. uh, with bands like Throbbing Gristle um, also kind of captures the same, I guess, um, challenge mm. with with what was happening at the time, a kind of uneasiness with the political climate and the cultural climate, mm. where you're kind of left with this, like, post-punk um, rejection mixed with old-school traditional values and how the two don't mesh. Yeah. I guess. No, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. I'm really curious about your own personal background before starting comics, because I look at your work, and it feels to me like you're pulling some fine art interest experience or something into it mm. as far as um, it's it's like it's odd it's like I kind of feel like it's a mix of like fine art and Will Elder um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> I, yes absolutely um, did you go to art school no uh, just a, a potted uh, a potted little history on that situation is uh, no I didn't go to art school I'm um, I wanted to go to art school but we in England I don't know what it's like over in Canada. Um, but uh, we didn't get very good, good career guidance in our school. And um, and I wanted to go to art school. I assumed I'd be able to. But uh, when it came to getting the information, it transpired that, that when I left, um, I'd missed the opportunity. I'd missed the, the entry date uh, for art school. Uh. Um, so I had to wait another year. Well, you know, where I come from, the family I come from, you don't wait, you, you know, nobody waits around after you leave school. You work, um, or you, you're in college or something. You, you can't wait around. So, basically what happened was that I, I ended up with a job as a trainee um, commercial artist in an advertising art studio, which, um, at the end of the day, turned out to be a blessing, because... You know, from what I know about art school now, um, <laughs> you know, uh, people end up doing lots of things, but not always learning how to draw well um, or to draw in a commercial manner. Um, and uh, in the advertising art studio, or as a trainee, I started as a trainee. I was a, I was a, a messenger. Um, uh, and you, what you do is you take you take all the art book around to the advertising agencies, and you learn the job uh, with all the guys in the studio. But anyway. Um, it was very useful because it taught me how to draw things that attract attention. I mean, that is the essence of advertising, of course. And, uh, it, I mean, th that was very valuable when it came to actually um, drawing um, strips because, you know, uh, um, the best strips are, 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 are those that sell themselves, that sell the story. Yeah. So, essentially, at the end of the day, it, it, was, it was good. But, um, yeah, I was interested in fine art. I loved fine... I mean, I was introduced to fine art when I was about 11 years old, not before then. I had an aunt who, who uh, used to give me lots of great books, and uh, um, I was given a book uh, that had a lot of uh, pictures of um, the great masters um, and where 
their pictures were available to be seen in London. So um, what I did with this book, I would tick all the all the pictures I really liked, and uh, and uh, when family went to on a day trip to London, we went to the National Gallery, and I made sure I saw all those pictures that I loved, and uh, you know Turner and Rembrandt and uh, Millay, uh, John Everett Millay, and uh, and those guys were very important, on me, you know, very important influence on me. So. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's, uh, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of, of, um, of guys in the business who, who do what I do often don't don't appreciate how valuable and important that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them learn how to draw or from other guys doing this, and and don't even touch base with uh, with fine art. And it's you've got to you've, you've got to have that kind of education, um, self-imposed, if nobody's giving it to you. Uh, so you have a wide range of influences because it's only with a wide range of influences that you can you can develop an individual style. and nervous. 
curious how that works into your into say um, paneling and how you're able to kind of compress a lot of information into a single image well I, yeah I'm not sure that uh, you know the, the appreciation of fine art that doesn't help you with that because uh, all illustrations have to tell a story mm-hmm. so they're like strips in themselves really they're like a strip page in themselves they have lots of elements which uh, tell a story so uh, fine art doesn't give you that uh, movies give you that cinema gives you that more than anything else um, and I think that's the other, that's another important uh, element that, that, that anybody uh, doing this stuff has to has to deal with you I mean I I mean I'm I always say to people who want to 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 uh, to become a sequential artist that that the most important thing first of all is to be able to draw and draw well you know that's a given but after that it's all technique and it is really I mean it's a blend of cinema technique and um, and what you can learn from other sequential art what you can learn from really good strip art um, but basically it's 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 Cinema will give you the way of of uh, of, of putting the essence, because that's all you need. That, that's the important. I mean, I see lots of art around now, often from very successful people, um, and every frame is like an illustration. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if it works and you're successful, and the and the editor wants to buy it and the publisher is happy with it and you're making lots of money well who am I to argue with you but <laughs> but the fact is that you know the best the ideal um, strip is one in which every frame has to ha- only needs the essence it can have a bit more of the essence or a bit less of the essence but the essence is, has to be the, the heart of every frame and every picture I mean, if it's necessary for uh, a frame to have a landscape of New York where every window is drawn, then that's what you should have. But if it if it's not important, then then it really shouldn't be there. And it doesn't. And it's not going to help the story. It's not going to. Sometimes it will stop the pace. It won't help the pace if you have um, if you if Maybe you're trying to over complex something. Yeah, it's uh, it it is it's you just have to have all you need um and no more. I mean, it, this is not a um this is not a hymn to to minimalism. Um this is merely, you know, a description of of the 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 ideal of of comics, but it, it you you just you shouldn't have too much. I think you know it's it's in, that's probably the best way of describing it. There should never be too much in uh, in every frame. There should only be what's necessary, and maybe a bit more on top. It's uh, words to live by for some folks. Um, one cartu- Canadian cartoonist, uh, David Collier, um, he did some interesting work. Just sketchbook stuff, but just pointing out the, you know, when you're doing a brick wall, you don't need to draw a brick wall. You can draw about three bricks in the wall, and you've got a brick wall. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. It, it's, uh, and of course, you've got the, uh, 
you've got the um, you've got the need for minimalism or not minimalism or, mm-hmm. or, or realism and not realism. That's that's the important thing. What when I do a strip, what's important to me is what what's his purpose? Uh, is it is it serious or is it or is it humorous? Is it does it have to be completely convincing or doesn't it have to be completely convincing? What is the atmosphere of the story? What's the story about? Um, and and every story has to be different. I mean, I mean, I did a I did a a, um, a short piece on Charlie Chaplin, which was just like a humorous cartoon type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no need for realism in that because you it's know Charlie we're talking. Yeah. So, and uh, but it's like you know if you're doing if you if somebody asks you to do a an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. You don't draw it in the same way as Conan the Barbarian. It's it's just that simple. <laughs> or maybe you do. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, you see that you see this is the I mean it's this is the the other thing that is quite interesting about this business, and that is that that uh, um, artists aren't often free to do what I try and do because editors like people they can rely on. So. If an if a if an artist shows that he's very good at doing, say, romance comics, um, he will always be doing romance comics because that's what the editor, you know, he feels comfortable employing him mm-hmm. at. Even though that guy might say, "Yeah, but I want to try and do a, I want to try and do a mystery horror," um, he won't he won't get to do it, and, and nobody will pay him to do it because he's he's good at doing romance, so he's like cursed by his own. His own uh, his own forte is is cursed by the his his own abilities to do something and uh, and uh, and 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 that can be kind of frustrating because you know the, the the although we're commercial artists and you know we need to pay the bills we also most of us some of us we need to use all our muscles we mm-hmm. need to. You know, we need to be able to change what we're doing because that—that's the only way you stay fresh. If you're, you know, if you're just doing the same thing, the same kind of story over and over again, it's—I uh, I think it will kill you in some way. It's not interesting for you, and it's not interesting for the readers. No, but uh, I mean, I—I—I—I I, I, I can tell you, I—I I would say that. Uh, most people in this business, most of the guys in this business, are doing the same thing mm-hmm. um, all the time, and and the readers will get their variety, but not from the same artist. They won't. They they will go to some other artist. Uh, you know, they will. You know, readers will get their variety from all kinds of. But the 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 artist, there are very few artists in this business that I know that that that, that change their style, and are allowed to change their style. Mm-hmm. And still are able to pay the bills, uh, you know. Like uh, Eddie Campbell, I guess, would be an example of playing with different stuff, or like Brian Talbot. Uh, yeah. Um, no. <laughs> well, I I don't know about Eddie Campbell. I mean, Brian um, Brian's style has changed somewhat. Um, he used to use lots of um, he used to render. Mm-hmm. A lot more. Um, Brian is uh, does 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 kind of 
change now and again. And I, I, that that tale of one bad rat was quite a fascinating piece of work. And uh, um, but Brian is a kind of uh, is a bit I think is a, is a kind of unusual because Brian starts his own project. You know, he's not he's not he's not um, he doesn't wait around. No, be, it's um, true. Yeah, he's not he's not like a he's not in the mainstream uh of the business. Uh but uh yeah, Brian's very have you spoken to Brian? Yeah. Oh great. Yeah, I talked to him for a couple hours at one point. Yeah, excellent guy. Excellent. Really really fascinating uh work and just kind of ideas he's exploring. I'm curious what his next book will be like. Yeah, and you know I tell you something about Brian, he's a very uh I was with him at the New York Comic Con, not the the one of the Apple, um, the the Big Apple Comic Cons mm-hmm. in uh, in New York, and I was sitting next to him, and uh, um, we were doing sketches for folks, and uh, he would take in sort of like commissions for people, and uh, and you know draw comm- and I, I when I do things like this, I can't do very complicated drawings. I just like sketches and stuff like that, and. Um, uh, it's just not I, I can't do very much but Brian will do sort of like quite complicated things but then when there's nothing to do he'll sit reading a book <laughs> and I can't do that I mean you know I'm I, I'm fascinated I mean I, I, if there's nothing to do or there's no book I will draw and drag people in you know I will you know and I will look around and Brian will sit there sits there reading a book you know while I've you know I've done my commissions I'm waiting around and He's there's nobody sort of like you know, queuing at the moment. So he's sitting there reading a book. So I can't do that. You know, I think it takes a very, I think it takes a very particular personality to be able to sort of sit in the middle of a convention like that. Um, you know, and just sit reading a book. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's interesting. I think people are artists are very kind of their work often reflects them their personality. Um, to a large degree, um, and I think Brian's a bit like that. It's uh, it's kind of controlled and uh, and structured, and uh, and he's you know he's not. I mean, I'm more edgy than that. You know, I'm I can't sit reading a book while you know in the middle of a convention. It's quite you know amazing to be able to be like that. Over the past few years, to the traditional sounds of an English summer, a drone of lawnmowers, a smack of leather on willow, has been added a new noise. What were the skies like when you were young? They went on forever. When I, we lived in Arizona, and the skies always had little fluffy clouds in them, and they were long and clear. There were lots of stars at night. Beautiful, the most beautiful skies, as a matter of fact. Uh, the sunsets were purple and red and yellow on fire. The clouds would catch the colors everywhere. That's unique because I used to look at them all the time when I was little. You don't see that.
How does how do you feel your work reflects your personality? Is well, it... it's very dark, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I I don't um, I I I think it's very I think because well I told you earlier that I do have a low border threshold and it mm. is I think I I think there is a kind of energy um, in it. Um, there aren't many there aren't many quiet moments um, in what I do it's all got a kind of like an underlying uh, movement I think but uh, I don't know why it's very difficult to judge my own stuff but um, I almost feel like there's an underlying madness in some of the work well yeah well <laughs> yeah I don't know must be serious you have to be mad to be in this business, let me tell you. Yeah, that 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 is uh, something I've heard many times. Mm. Um, it's fascinating to talk about you you can get be bored or just have to keep moving with work. But you're also you do your own coloring which is probably one of the more um labor intensive elements in some ways. Mhm. Um, do you still do your own coloring? Well, I, I, 
I started doing my own coloring, um, or at least doing coloring guides. I mean, this is, uh, I don't know how this, I don't know how far you want to get into this. This is quite long, but I mean, you know, you've got time. I have, um, uh, I have some friends who actually be really fascinated by the coloring. All right. Well, I, well, the thing is this, I, I, um, what can I take first? Uh, well, before V was colored, for instance, and before AG got into coloring for, um, for comics at all, um, the only color work I did was with inks, mm-hmm. um, not, not mechanical coloring, not, not black and white but like and wash. with color attached to it. Um, you know, when I started in this business, I would color my work with inks. I would use colored inks. Mm-hmm. Um, I did uh, lots of things, um, lots of work like that. And uh, so I'm very familiar with using color uh, on, on on strips. Um, when it came to mechanical coloring, um, the first thing I did, which was colored for me, um, uh, which I didn't have a choice about at the time, or thought I didn't have a choice about at the time, was when I started on Wasteland. I was the first DC work I did was for Wasteland series, mm-hmm. and uh, the coloring on that was appalling. Uh, I really hated, and um, and uh, and I decided that I would have a go myself. I asked if I could do it. At that time. Uh, they used this incredibly primitive system with uh, color guides. Uh, I don't know how familiar you, you are with it, and I won't go into. I won't try and describe it. To From what I understand, they they were you had a certain palette you were able to use, right? Yeah. Like you could only go so far off into this registration to this. So I'll let you continue. Well, it was it, you basically you chose from a, a color chart. And you had a whole range of, of, of colors um, that were described as R2, B2, for mm-hmm. instance. Uh, Y2, or you'd, you'd have Y, which is a strong yellow. You'd have Y2, which was a lighter yellow, etc., etc. You see what I mean? So each each one of these panels. So if you chose Y2, that was a light. That was a light yellow. Uh, R2 was a light red, a kind of pink. So anyway. You, so you could you had pastel kind of, and then you had other things. You had Y two R two B two, which was like a purple thing. Okay, so what you had to do was when you when you did your black and white art, you would do guides, and in each area on the on the black and white photo, you'd have a black and white photocopy of your artwork on each area. Like it was all like painting by numbers. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it was like on each area. Say you had a big sky, you had a big sky background. You would put B two. You understand? Yeah. Yeah, you put B two. So that's your light blue. Well, that was fine when you're dealing with your B twos and your Y twos. <laughs> it's quite simple. Um, um, but and they would usually turn out okay. But when you got into the purples and the browns and stuff, man, when they got printed, they looked absolutely nothing like the guides absolutely mm-hmm. nothing like him and the first my first experience of that I, uh, was on I forget what the, st- what the story was but I was astounded and shocked and horrified 
And for the first time, I kind of respected some of the guys who'd done this before. Who, you know, and I'd I'd been just castigating them and cursing them <laughs> and saying, you know, they were terrible colorists. You couldn't, you know, hopeless. And uh, and I really began to respect. In fact, I respect some of the great colorists like Maurice Everin, who, mm. who 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 somehow I don't know how they managed to working from these kind of guys how they managed to produce anything that looked good at all. Um, some of them did, and of course I have examples of it. I don't know how they did it, just by some... Because they... they and I, after a while, figured out how to choose the colours that at least would not turn into complete, completely Shit. different <laughs> uh, colours than the ones that were on the chart. Um, but still, um, not, not, uh, not very very satisfactory um, and at the end of the day <clears throat> the waste, all the wasteland stories I did I ended up just using pastels all the time because they were, they were the only colours that I knew would turn out right so um, but uh, um, that was a, a, an appalling experience and after that um, the colour that I was into then was um, was blue lines the blue line colouring system mm -hmm. that was used on Vendetta. I only did a small amount of the colouring on on, uh, on Vendetta. I did the um, uh, some of the early stuff at the beginning, um, and then most of the other colouring was done by two great colourists. Um, friend of mine, Siobhan Dodds, who was sort of like she was a children's book illustrator I knew, and uh, Steve Whitaker, who sadly is no longer with us, who was one of the best colourists in England, um, and they did both did a fantastic job in uh, blue line covering, which is basically use watercolours or inks yeah. uh, under a black acetate. Again, I won't go into the technical terms of describing it, but basically using real colours. The only problem with that one was that the printers didn't care very much. Um, so I had very big issues with the fact that, you know, a light yellow would suddenly turn bright yellow for no good reason. I mean, even at that time, the printers were perfectly capable of okay. being able to control how much yellow was going into the presses. But at that time, and this is all different now because of computer colouring, and there is actually much more respect uh, for for what we do than there ever was then. But at that time, in the in the uh, late eighties, nineties. The mindset was still, well, as long as Superman's outfit is red and blue. blue and his cloak is red, then everything's fine. And it was that kind of primitive attitude um, dominated even at the printers. And, uh, and so I had um, big issues with that. Um, that that uh, is, is kind of old news now because... Um, uh, when DC produced a hardback version of, of uh, Vendetta um, in 2006 uh, for the movie, when the movie came out, mm. uh, they allowed me for the first time to tweak all the colours. Um, so hopefully all future, even the soft covers, although I can't guarantee it, and the hard covers of the collection will have a, a, a 
a, a reasonable and enjoyable uh, color balance, whereas before you couldn't count on it um, at all. Um, um, beyond V, um, I started using color guides, which were basically done with colored pencils. So when I did short stories for DC, like Gangland and Weird War Tales, um, I would do I would use color pencils on photocopies mm -hmm. and send those in, and the color separators. And of course, by this time, technology and computer coloring, color separation was much easier. You know, everything's much easier now, and the results I got were very good. Um, uh, and now, I mean, beyond that stage, um, with Kickback, which is the first. The first book I did, actually, with a computer, um, um, where all the pages were actually put on CD um, and sent to the publisher, um, I'm completely responsible for the color. The color is on is on disc and goes straight off, and there's little that they can do wrong with it. Um, sometimes it gets darker, sometimes it gets lighter, but basically the color balance is not uh, altered or destroyed. Um, things are much better now than they used to be. I mean, anyone working for DC, um, I don't know about Marvel, I didn't do any much work for them then, or hardly or any at all much. But uh, anyone working at that stage, um, in the mid-80s, 90s, before color computers and, and the, whole, the whole technology revolution, basically, that that that, uh, that changed how we managed to produce anything worth a damn. <laughs> there's Neither. a there's a great story in the '60s when Neil Adams was a young upstart, and uh, he wanted to use certain colors, and the production department wouldn't let him. He mm. said, "Sorry, we can only you can only use these colors. It would cost more to use that." Is what well, Marvel will do it. And they're like, well, "Well, it would cost us so much more for our printing costs." with the printer to use that color, so they just refused. They wouldn't even discuss it. So he just went and contacted the printer and just got them to just change their deals so they can now use more colors for free. Wow. Really pissed off uh, the art director of DC at the time. Well, he yeah, but he was... Uh, Neil Adams, let's face it, he was he's not exactly, uh, you know, backward in coming forward in many ways, Neil, yeah. is he, really? I mean, he's the guy that, that was so... Uh, so um, Effective in in trying to help the uh, uh, Siegel and Schuster, wasn't he? It was yep. like a, yeah, he was heavily I mean, involved in that. Yeah, fact, you know. I, I mean, that's what a fantastic thing to do. And I, you know, and I, I've heard lots of horror stories about, um, you know, coloring and people trying to change things. And I think I, I had a story about. Uh, I think it was Ronin. I think it was Ronin. I think uh, Frank Miller's uh, Ronin. I think Lynn Varley did the colors for, mm -hmm. for Ronin. And I, I heard a story that, that, that they went to the press check uh, and Lynn Varley was weeping at the end of the at the end of the conveyor belt, you know, uh, to see what colours were, ha were, 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 were were happening. It's like a and it's and as I say, I think a lot of it was completely unnecessary. I mean, uh, because there just wasn't that level of respect for the work. No, absolutely not. Um, absolutely not. And. Uh, and if they're, if, well, as a thankfully, 
uh, you know, things have changed. And uh, but the attitude—I mean, that's, this is another big thing, of course—the attitude to comics per se, which is why I, I'm always—I'm always using the term sequential art. I mean, it's like I'm. I've got this sort of like mission that when I talk about comics, unless I'm talking to somebody like yourself who knows all about it, mm. um, whenever I talk to anybody, I say I, so I use sequential art, you know, because comics, any, any, you know, Joe Public, comics is like comedians. Yeah. You know, and, and if we keep talking about them as comics, we call, I mean, it's like graphic novels. People are using, gra- you know, people use graphic novels now and, and it's actually got through. I mean, you know, you, you hear people who don't know comics, they're talking about graphic novels, it, because that's got through. People have used graphic novels constantly, the term graphic novels, and it's actually made a difference. Um, but, of course, graphic novel is a one particular thing, but sequential art covers the whole thing. So if we keep talking about sequential art, if we keep using the term sequential art, then that will get through, too, eventually, and it will... And like graphic novels, it will change public perception. And if you change the public perception of what we're doing, it will help us. It will help. It will help us all to to get new readers and change things because that's that's what we should be doing instead of you know because well we have to change. I think it's very important to change people's perception. It's of, funny. Uh, it's it's quite a in a lot of ways a contentious debate. The the labeling aspect because I know Art Spiegelman himself he will say comics he is a cartoonist he makes comics mm. um, he's very very particular specific he does not make he's not a graphic novelist um, and part of that is also to be proud that you're making comics too yeah but that's yeah but it's that's almost perverse I think that's almost like you know I don't care shoot me you know <laughs> that's I, I think I don't think that's I don't think that's constructive towards the the, the future. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you don't give a damn. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know about Art Spiegelman, but I, I, there are lots of people who just like like to be rebelliously um, counter-revolutionary. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I, I think you know, it's like, hey, we're doing funny books. You know, yeah, let's be proud of it. No, forget it. You know, that's stupid. You know, I mean, if, I mean. Let's be more like France. Why can't we be more like France? You know, I, I want to be it? more like France. I want America to be more like France in its respect for this medium. Um, and we we won't get there unless we actually start changing the way things are looked at. It's like political correctness. I mean, look, you know, we have to start. You know, it's like calling people African Americans. That's it. That's important. Mm-hmm. It's important to start calling people African. It was important to start calling people African Americans. That's very important, and that's the same thing. You know, it's on a wider, on a bigger scale, but it's the same thing. I, th- we, I think you also there's a responsibility there to be creating work that's worthy of. Um, I I don't want to say like a higher station or something like that, but like of. A more solid purpose, and that's that's a challenge that America faces in itself, as far as uh, comics go. Where you're starting to see good comics being made by bigger publishers, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you're relying on. And this is my own personal interest and viewpoint. You're relying on folks like 
the running quarterly and the fan graphics and, and DC I mean they occasionally they get, they get some great thing that comes out and then when they milk that for all it's worth they regurgitate it and use it over and over again kind of mm. yeah well I agree, I agree with that I mean but you I agree with that uh, and and most of the sort of like a lot of the interesting stuff is coming a lot of the interesting stuff on a kind of like a general public mass appeal Mm-hmm. Um, level is coming from sort of like drawing courtly and stuff like that because because it's not the superhero genre which only appeals to a smaller smaller um, demographic. But the point is, you don't want a split. You don't want a, a whole bunch of comics that that are happy to, that art that you can call sequential art and graphic novels and uh, the rest of them that that you call comics because there's no reason for that. I mean, like cinema, you know, movies. You know, you can have. Uh, I mean, what well, up in the air is a movie, right? And so is like um, American Pie. Yeah. They're both movies. They they have absolutely nothing in common with each other. I mean, in my, I mean, you know, you can still call it Mar Bergman a movie. You can, you know, Seventh Seal, Wild Strawberries. They are that is a movie. But that but you know, Marx Brothers is a movie as well. I mean, they're both movies. They're both cinema. I mean, movie, movies and cinema. I mean, they're interchangeable now. Nobody. But you just need one term that covers more. But we won't get to. We just got to try and. I mean, this is absolutely my attitude. Um, <laughs> it's my opinion. My opinion. We've got to start using sequential art more, and I'm, I'm using it, all the time. You know, in fact, I'm writing emails. When even when I'm writing emails, to friends, I'm just about to start using you know, comics. And I think I'm changing it to sequential art. <laughs> They're probably thinking, what the hell are you doing? But it's, uh, you know, because I, I know that if it bleeds through, and if we use it, in the, even if we use it commonplace all the time, it'll work, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Like graphic novels, you know? I don't think any, we, there was no mission, was there? I mean, I mean, uh, Will Eisner was, was determined to use that and, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to use that. But there was no mission. But it got through because people used it. Kept and I mean, it. it's it, and the thing about it as a label. I mean, it's accurate for Will Eisner's work, but the 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 graphic novel aspect. I mean, when you're looking at Joe Sacco book, I don't. It, it it doesn't sit well with me calling it a graphic novel because it's not a novel. No, no. Well, that's why we should use sequential art. I mean, no, as I say, exactly. Graphic novel does cover a, a particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know, and that that's so it's limited. This sequential art covers everything. In fact, you can talk about the writing of comics in sequential art, of course, because the the art of the comic is includes the writing and the the art. So sequential art does it, and you know there's no other term, but, you know. And as I say, it's just a. Uh, but I, you know, I, I do want things to change, and I think it's important that things change. And uh, I think there, one positive thing you have being in England, um, with the proximity to France, is also you have someone who's really taking things seriously with Paul Gravette. Um, oh, yeah. With his Comica Festival. Like, it's phenomenal. We ha- we, we've we started to see something like that uh, on the East Coast in Canada with... Uh, tr- I was just in Toronto for the Toronto Comic Arts Festival. Um, where, you're, I mean, you're looking at this as an art form. You're respecting it. You're respecting the creators. Mm. And I think, you know, a big part of that is to kind of shift mentality away from the idea of sticking as many cartoons as you can into an airport hangar. Mm. Um, you know, I, I have an, a certain unease for large comic conventions. I, it, they don't sit that comfortably for me. Um, 
as far as like it's like a performance almost for artists like yeah. kind of you, in one spa- aspect it's phenomenal because you'll have cartoonists that live in pretty sedentary isolation work in their work and have a chance to actually meet people and meet fans and have that interaction um, but I also feel like as long as comic conventions are comic conventions you're not going to be taking yourself that seriously no while you're while you're sticking you know this person next to the guy that played Jawa number 10 you know yeah I I well that's it yeah it's an interesting point I mean I think there's a there's there, there's probably going to be you will never there'll be there'll always be room for bars or there should be room for bars because I, I agree with you and it's like the mocker uh, in New York um, you know yeah they, they, they have um and and they have a a, a different uh, mindset, and they look at it as art. And I think that's. And there was another one. What was another one? I thought. Anyway, well, yeah, I think I agree with that. But I think also you have to bear in mind that, like, in exactly the same way as movies are art and entertainment at the same time, mm-hmm. um, uh, comics have to be as an entertaining. Um, have to be on the entertainment edge, and uh, and I don't think there's not a necessity to separate um, separate both uses. You know, the artistic. Um, I mean, um, it's an interesting it's an interesting debatable point, but I I, I think the uh, especially is and especially now when a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, comics are being made in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that link. That link is going to get stronger. I don't think it's going to get any any less. So they're they're both going to be in the same place. They're both going to be. You are going to have uh, uh, the same thing. Uh, you the know, conventions they'll always be there. Mm. Um, they're not going anywhere. I guess for me, I'd like to see more creativity as far as promoting comics or engaging comics. Yeah. With with the audience, like I think it's worth noting. You mentioned Mocha. Well, Frank Miller made an appearance at Mocha this year. He's not making... I don't know if he's really making an appearance in San Diego. That kind of gives you a little lens into how creators may feel as well. Mm. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Well, and and also, I mean, the other thing that always struck me about comics is... Comics is the only thing... I mean, when it was supposed to be multi-million dollar industry, which, it, well, maybe it still is in some way if you add the, 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 the movies the movies onto it mm-hmm. but uh, it was the only industry that never advertised to the general public and I could never figure it out every yeah. other industry except in France except and in Japan France. well yes of course <laughs> but I mean in America and yeah. in England they ne- it was well in America especially never advertised to the general public it's like just advertising the same people it's like selling washing machines to people who've already got washing machines and I could never figure it out I mean how are you going to get more people to read comics um and this whole thing, well, this, this, is, this is getting very, we're going for an incredible technical. number of tangents here. <laughs> but I always I always thought this, this thing about a free comics day was kind of crazy. I mean, how is anybody respect, supposed to respect anything that you give away for free? <laughs> I, I, personally, I'm in favor of the free comic book day. Yeah, I, well, I, yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah, I understand the reason for it, but I, I and it has does have that idea of, you know, people will come in and get something free that, that they... It, as long as it's good. You give a good thing. Mm. You know, it's like giving crack. Like, you get that, that good one at first. 
Um, and that's the most important part with comics is the, the notion of gateway people like to play. But I think, I, I and I'm way more comfortable with something like that than, say, the death of Superman or Barack meeting Spider-Man, you know, where it's like you, you, you've given yourself this window of something is important for five seconds, and then it becomes chicken feed almost. You just have no use for this because there's so much out there, and people didn't get it for the right reasons. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, well, I can't <laughs> argue with that. Um, uh, uh, that that promotion of a, you know, that, 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 that gives Superman long hair now. That whole, I, yeah, I, I can't, yeah, that concept doesn't really work for me. What? 
So uh, I'm just going to completely change topics now because we're we got derailed there. I think. Hmm. Um, Kickback came out, I guess, three years ago, two years ago. Uh, it came out. This is uh, 2006. So three and a half, four. Um, it, it's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. I really liked it. Good, thank um, you. I was really fascinating, fascinating looking at how comparing that to say V and just seeing the level of how much you're stripping down your art in some ways. Mm. Is that accurate? Well, it's a. I, I think it's a different subject. It's a kind of like um, it's a, it's crime noir, and it's uh, it was there was no need for a lot of detail in it. It was very minimalist. the The script is very, the script is minimal. Um, it was basically that that book was like an homage to a lot of the movies that it was inspired by. I'm a big fan of of uh, films of the sixties and seventies, um, <clears throat> like Bullet and Prime Cut, Point Blank, um, Hustle, um, Daddy Harry. Uh, there is a kind of style and quality to those films that I wanted to reproduce. And uh, so I always wanted to do a graphic novel that was like those crime movies that I admire. But I also wanted to say something, you know, about uh, about corruption. And um, But there was no... There was... It, it had to have a pace. Mm-hmm. And it was completely different to V. Uh, it's only it's similar to V uh, thematically because V is about corruption of society and now society frees itself from that corruption whereas uh, Kickback is about uh, a policeman in the corrupt police force a one man who actually manages to free himself from corruption but it's still examining why we're corrupt and what is why what leads us to to become uh criminally minded mm-hmm. um, so thematically it's similar but the difference between that and V from a storytelling point of view is that V packed a lot of information into its pages um, uh, it had to um, because it was initially told in series of six to eight pages sometimes well yeah six, six to eight pages every month and no we warrior. you know covered a lot of a lot of space a lot of area and it's very it's got a, there's a lot of material in there and it's also from what I understand the script Alan Moore scripts can be a little maddening no I mean this is interesting <laughs> this is kind of like a legend that's grown up and I you know you have no idea how many people come up <laughs> to me at conventions and say what's it like working with Alan Moore and they look at me, and it's like, and I know why they've asked that, and because they always just had this idea that there were these incredibly detailed scripts that that he produces. Well, I know that he started doing that for other people, mm-hmm. and in fact, he started doing that for me, but I stopped him. <laughs> because you have to remember that I worked with Alan in the early days. Yeah. Um, um, in fact, when we did V, I had been in the business for three years. And Alan had been in the business for just two years. I think I was the first person he collaborated with on a project. Um, although he was working, well, I was the first one, and then he was working with Gary, Gary Leach on Marvel Man and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then con- 
and then a bit of people. But the thing is that um, that he was learning what he was doing, and uh, and frankly, if if I had the sort of scripts that people tell me that I'm supposed to be writing for other people, I would never seen any of them. I wouldn't have worked with them. Yeah. Because it, for me, it's it's very important for the artist to have his territory, because all sorts of resentments happen when you just when you think you know somebody you know if you become some kind of robot, um, and it's artistically um, uh, can be very damaging. Um, so I never had any of those um, at all. Um, Although, as I say, uh, Alan was starting to to do that. In fact, we joked about it uh, uh, at a certain point. I actually said that you know he was overriding, and uh, um, but you know that was in the early days. And we, we the the reason you know we were on the same wavelength. We you know we had a great working relationship. Um, but uh, but V was very was very had a lot of depth in it. And uh, but the but the important as I say the the thing is that there was a lot of a lot of stuff that had to be put in those in those uh, six pages. Uh, where I whereas in Kickback there is the idea is extended over um, ninety six pages, and it's it has time to breathe. It's a lot uh, more decompressed. Yeah, and it, I wanted to have time to breathe. And there's lots of silent there's lots of silent um, areas. Because it's about, I mean, a lot of comics throw information at you, I think, we often, um, that, and they don't allow you to think much. Um, and then there's another kind of um, comic that tells you that takes too long to tell a story. Um, you know, actually, it's actually quite shocking sometimes when I see a lot of, uh, a lot of issues of comics now. There's only got about, I don't know, three frames on the page or something and you think god well what you know are you going to tell me anything you know nope. what's happening you know? it's all so it all fits in a nice book when it's done it may yeah, actually and be 35 pages of story but yeah, you made it, it 120 yeah and it's uh, and I think it's a shame I think cause, but, it, but I don't well anybody this is another man shouldn't go off at another tangent but anyway uh, <laughs> um, kickback is um it's different, but it's it's uh, you know I'm I'm very proud of it. It it, it, it's, uh, it does exactly what I wanted it to do, and um, and uh, I, the, the, I regret the fact that it wasn't promoted when it when it uh, when it first appeared. And uh, you know I take every opportunity I possibly can to tell people about it um, at conventions and stuff like that because. Um, uh, I want more people to know about it, and um, you know, it, it's had. I'm glad to say it's had some very good uh, reviews. I enjoyed it. Good, thank you. <laughs> um, artistically, one of the things that kind of remind me of is I don't know if this is something you're exposed to at all. Is a lot of like the um, like graffiti paste up. That people have been doing. No, um, tell me about it. Um, like where people will do like instead of like spray painting stuff, they'll paste up like an image um, which has like a lot of like really just like thick blacks in the outline. Um, no, it just kind of remind me of that. Hmm. Like a Banksy. Oh right, yeah. Like that kind of um, 
Oh yeah, I know what you mean. It's kind of like a burnout somewhere. Yeah, yeah, the bur- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Well, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't intentional. Maybe it just comes from because um, I'm really a sort of like a child of the '60s, you know. And there was a lot of that, um, a lot of that burnout. Um, very simple design in the '60s, you know. And a lot of it's actually still hit now, um, from what I see in design. Uh, you, you see a lot of uh, a lot of sort of like '60s uh, uh, design concepts used. Um, and they're still very appealing, you know. I, I uh, in fact, I did a, I did a cover recently for um, the uh, Moonstone is doing Honey West. Um, uh, it's a, they've got the rights to do uh, comic books of uh, Honey West, the sixties uh, uh, TV character. Did did you know about no, Honey West? Not at all. <laughs> Honey West was played by Anne Francis. She was a she was a private eye, and oh. uh, a sixties TV show. Um, um, and uh, um, they got the rights to do it, and uh, and they asked me to do a, um, a cover. And I thought, well, because it's very, I did a sort of like a retro type cover, um, and it works, and people see it. People have seen it, and said, oh, that's really, you know, I I like that. It's re- that's there is a lot of um, a lot of interest in that kind of like. Uh, um, uh, minimalist kind of like 60s design in credit titles and stuff like that you know what I mean yeah there's uh, a fellow out of New York that it also kind of reminds me of um, who you kind of share I guess a certain lens in the world with uh, Peter mm. Cooper oh right yeah um, that did his World War 3 illustrated so I, I found that interesting like it almost like a street level response mm. so, it's my own you know, and I guess that's art. You you see what you want in it, mm. and you get what you can out of it. Mm. And so that's what I'm getting. At. Um, how was it for you writing a longer piece for yourself? Well, um, it was. I I I had the basic idea for it. Um, and originally, uh, Kickback was supposed to be just one book. And in fact, what happened, because uh, it was originally sold to France. Uh, I didn't try to sell it to America uh, to begin with, or to any of the companies um, in America, because um, at the time, crime comics were not, you know, nobody was interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is around because it, it was written quite a, a long time ago. It, it was these, there were these gaps between when I wrote the rough script and then when I got time to to sell it because the, the I took an opportunity of of one of those uh, sort of quiet summers where the phone doesn't ring um, to to sit down because there's two things you can do when the, when you got one of those quiet summers you can either pick up the phone and say look uh, you know what. I need something to do, or you can you can say, well, I'm gonna, you know, I always want to do my. I, there was a project I need to do, and I'm gonna sit down and do it. And it's important that you you do that because otherwise you, you just never get get round to do it. So as I say, there was this quiet summer. I just said, right, I'm gonna sit down. I'm gonna write this. So I wrote the basic rough script out, and I wrote it out, and it all fit together. And um, you know, I just knew exactly basically what I wanted to do with it. Um, 
And then when I come, came to sell it, there was a kind of misunderstanding with the, with the French publisher initially, where he thought I was selling him something that was two albums, and 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 I, I it was only one, and and he said to me, oh well, I I thought it was two, and uh, and I I immediately said, well, okay, well I'll make it two, and it was like, and it was it, I I didn't even think about it because there was no. The, the thing is, there was no reason why I couldn't make it to it, because for a start, you can just have more space for the pictures. You can think more, because because the original script, it was very tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did want it to be very tightly paced, and it still is tightly paced, even expanded. But that's only because um, the frames are bigger. I mean, the, the, the pacing is the same, it's just yeah. the frames are bigger. But I did, it did give me an opportunity to expand story and change uh, things in the story um, and to add things so it was a blessing in disguise um, um, so at the end of the day it, it worked out uh, it worked out, out very well so uh, so the, the uh, French edition would be quite larger wouldn't it well no with the well uh, the Fr- the French edition was still in two albums oh larger in size yep. yes Actually, yeah. it was it, yeah. It's a it's a standard size of uh, of French albums, which is like A4, bigger than A4, slightly bigger than A4, um, and in two and in two uh, uh, albums, mm-hmm. and uh, and then uh, I, I when it was when it was completed, I I, I sold it to uh, to Dark Horse. So, do you read much French comics? Uh, well, unfortunately, my French is no good, um, so I can't. But uh, the, the ones, those that I've, I've seen in France in translation, yeah, they're, they're uh, some some are good, some are bad. I mean, it's a bit like uh, it's a bit like uh, any, you know, any it's a bit like like uh, any other kind of uh, country's comics. But uh, uh, I, I, in fact, I've been trying to learn French for for, for a, a very long time, and uh, it ain't easy. Huh? It isn't easy. No. No, absolutely not. And uh, um, I, but I still struggle with it, and I'm I, I'm determined to, uh, to I, get there eventually. I but, could see uh, some shared values with like uh, Jacques Tardy. Ah, yeah. Especially yeah, Tardy is great. Um, you you read the West Coast Blues? Uh, no, I haven't. It's also, Crowd Noir. Book yeah, and, uh, I recommend reading it. And uh, Lustal, you know, you know, you know Lustal's work? No. That's really nice. I, I mean, I've, I've I've been to France a number of times. I've met some of these guys. Uh, Loisel, you know, Reg- Regis Loisel. Uh, there's some. Uh, this they do some fantastic stuff, uh, and and they have much more time than. I mean, you know, there's the, their their standard time for to produce an album, and we're talking about sort of like forty six pages. I mean, it's a year. They have a year mm-hmm. to do forty six pages, which is like. But again, that's interesting. Is the, the interesting thing about the, the lot of the European albums is you can see they've they've spent a year on it because there's a lot of detail in it, and, that's and they love detail. They love detail over there. So. Oh yeah, every little line has a purpose, and there's yeah. lots of them. It's something you're starting to see more nowadays uh, with the whole New York graphic novel explosion, like the, mm. all the major book publishers taking on and giving cartoonists, you know, here's a chunk of change and go work on your book for the next couple of years. Mm. There's something you're seeing more and more, especially with, like, 
Dead Klaus' latest book. I mean, that took him quite a while. Mm. So it's fun. It's it, it's changed, and I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's um, you know, I think it's it's great. I think it's great that more publishers, uh, you know, regular publishers are, are, are um, getting into this. I mean, there was that. I mean, there was a a period um, in the nineties, wasn't there, where you know it was comics were seen as kind of cool and, uh, and 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 fashionable, and a lot of publishers are actually putting money into, in, and they, and they're actually producing because not, either the editors didn't didn't know what they were doing, or you know whatever the reason was, but they were producing books that didn't sell, and it was all like a it was like a something that was, that could have happened that didn't, didn't happen. Yeah. But I think um, they've learned from their mistakes now. I think I think there's there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening, and again that's. Uh, that's um, that's healthy, but I, 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 you know, I hope the one thing that bothers me about about that to a degree is that I, you know, there's 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 often a kind of elitism, elite, a, a kind of snobbish quality towards, you know, the books and the publishers are regarded as kind of like real sort of like graphic novels that that's a different kind of object, a kind of like respectable object, whereas you know, people like that we that are doing the sort of like the general stuff. They're sort of like a lesser kind of breed, a kind of lesser species, not not as respectable. A kind of, and that's I think that's problematic. It's, that, it's, again, that comes back to why I want I want this overall uh, description that covers everybody. You know, so that we don't get these these little little class areas, these elite neighborhoods, the elite, you know, gated yeah. neighborhoods of, uh, of um, you know, the, uh, the people who do graphic novels for publishers and the hoi polloi who, uh, <laughs> you know, it's work the, in the project, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it, it, it is a challenge that we still deal with um, in odd ways, like Spiegelman's rejection of Jack Kirby. You know, the, it's very. That's terrible. It's did he actually what? He did that publicly or something? Well, he it, it's rejection's a strong term for me to, but he he's very, he he he's not a Kirby fan. He never really got it when he was growing up. It hit him at the wrong time, so he saw it as juvenile work, and it never really got to him. He never really like clicked in how Kirby sometimes, when you get Kirby, you get it and you love it and you understand, you know. There's so much more into it than you could really, you know, get from a lot of contemporaries. So. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, it's the it's it's schools of of interest and schools of comics and you know, as small as comics are, they're big in other ways as well. Yeah. Sure.
What are you working on for the future, if you don't mind me asking? Um, no, uh, well, at the moment I'm not, I mean, I I have a bunch of ideas that I haven't decided on yet. Um, uh, I'm, to a degree, I'm kind of disenchanted with, um, I don't have real much faith in, I mean, I'm going to spend, if I do something, you know, like, say, another kickback or something, or something, and I'm, I, I don't really want to start doing anything um, of my own, or an idea of my own, unless I'm going to spend, you know, unless I'm going to put real time into it. Yeah. If I'm going to spend that much time of my life on something, I want to be absolutely sure that when it's published, it gets seen, it gets promoted, um, and it gets the audience it deserves. Now, that didn't happen with Kickback, and I don't want to go into the details of all that. Um, you know, I've, you know, I've still got wounds on that. On that. But mm-hmm. um, I I want it to be seen. And I'm not absolutely sure, I'm not really sure whether I have enough faith in, in it appearing as a comic or as a book. Um, and how good book distribution is, even though lots of people are actually doing that, and how how much you can make from that, and also um, whether maybe it's a good idea to go online, uh, first of all. So I'm, in a sense, although I have ideas, I don't want to embark on anything until I'm absolutely sure that it's wherever, whatever I'm doing it for is going to be worth doing it for. Um, you know, I... I just don't want to 
put a lot of effort into something because when I put effort, I mean, I'm I'm really I really love what I do, and I want uh, and I never I've never shortchanged an audience in my life. You know, I mean, every book I've done, I've done the best I could, um, uh, and I want that to be appreciated. You know, um, so I don't know where it would go, and that's that's the first thing. Um, set, and but for the for now, right now, um, currently, what I'm trying, what I'm helping. Yeah, I'm doing some sort of kind of like charity work, and I'll tell you what it is. It's a, it's a new website um, here in England, which um, is called uh, cartoonclassroom.co.uk, which is really aims to centralise all the information on uh, cartoons or the study of cartoons and comics in the UK and Ireland, because over here. Um, it isn't always easy to find information on all that, and you you know you don't know exactly where to go, you don't know you know exactly what books to get, and if you go on the internet, you get all sorts of different sources and stuff, and they're not always reliable. Whereas this this site is is set up by um, by professionals by you know. And we have recommended books on there that are recommended by professionals, by people who have actually worked in the business. Um, and also it aims to put people in touch. If there are schools, libraries or colleges who actually want to get in touch with people who who are tutors, uh, who can teach either part-time or full-time in comics, in cartoons and sequential art, it puts them in touch with them. So and it's a kind of an information hub for for that um and uh and so it's it's it, we launched it last year in october and um it's um it's not for profit you know but the but one of the important things and one of the difficult things is to tell everybody about it because it's not easy to just contact all the libraries um because you can't just email the libraries because of data protection and all sorts of things. So you can't just get a whole list of, of schools and teachers and colleges. It's, very, it's incredibly difficult, as a matter of fact, to just be able to sort of say, hey, look, you've got this great site. I mean, you know, you have a great idea that will help people mm-hmm. um, in certain area, And you can't just say, oh, hey, look, here it is. You know, there are all sorts of... Uh, bureaucratic uh, barriers and avenues you have to go through and all this sort of stuff so so what I'm trying to do is uh, is just helping to try and get that thing known about and in various ways and uh, so I, that's what I'm I'm spending some time on and uh, the other thing right now is just uh, you know I'm just uh, doing some uh, trips going to Victoria and Vancouver. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I'm, although I have ideas, um, uh, as, I, as I say, I'm not absolutely sure um, about, you know, committing my time to them and where I'm, where I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to do with them. You know, it seems it's important for you to be uh, accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting. When you are talking about the conventions uh, earlier. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, it is and, accessibility uh, there. Yeah, I, I, I think it, I really actually like doing conventions, and uh, 
and there are some there are, there are some people in this business who dislike sitting at home and they don't they're not into you know going out and saying hi and I mean I think it's great I mean I because I think it's it's important to uh, I think it's important to connect with the, the people that are reading your stuff um, and because uh, I just think it's good to have that feedback and especially with kickback I mean I tell you if, if I mean it's important for me if I hadn't gone out and actually told people about it um, a lot of people still wouldn't know about it I mean, and, and every convention I go to you know I didn't I will know about have, it until I saw it on your site yeah uh, yeah uh, you just you just have to you know tell people about it and talk to people about it and it's uh, um, it's I, and I do enjoy uh, um, you know sitting at a drawing board <laughs> sitting at a drawing board <laughs> all the time can be you know can drive you nuts <laughs> so you know getting out is uh, is very good no truer words have been spoken <laughs> well um, I guess folks hopefully when they see you there will be copies of Kickback as well as your other works available well I hope so otherwise there will be blood <laughs> alright well, I'll have my copy to get signed um I think uh, we've got a fair wealth of information here, David. Okay. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Um, well, it's uh, it, it's my pleasure, Robbie. It's uh, it's been it's been really swell, and like I said, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard this a lot, but V was very uh, very seminal for me. Very like came at the right time. Well, and, good. Uh, that's 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 great. I mean, I I you know I hear that. Uh, um, I'm a kid uh, of counterculture. Well, that. you know, thank, 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 thank heavens. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, actually, one thing touching on something you were saying earlier about questioning things is I interviewed uh, Genesis P. Orridge, and we're talking about Robert Anton Wilson and William S. Burroughs. One of the most important things about him that they represented is they questioned and they challenged the norms. And I guess, mm. you know, it's important no matter what art form you're doing to be challenging well I think that's absolutely true because you know if we don't actually talk about uh, these things um, it's like when I was at the the the, the, uh, the press conference in San Diego a woman said uh, what what are you doing making this film about a terrorist and, uh, said uh, I'm I, you know the, the response was thrown up to me and I said well you know, we should make more films about terrorists because if we don't understand them, we will never be able to uh, figure them out. So, mm -hmm. and it, you know, it's it's a different reality. I don't think like people in New York will understand the reality that you deal with in England. I think it's a whole other world, um, especially with the CCT, the CCTV, mm. and um, you know, years and years of confrontations from different elements and different organizations and different nationalist movements. Um, it's a bit of a mess there. Mm. Just as an observer. Yep. Uh, True. Thank you so much, David. Alright, uh, will, I, will I see you in Vancouver somewhere? Oh, indeed. I will be at Heritage Hall um, bringing in stuff to get signed.
No worries.